Welcome in to another episode of Frogs Insider, TCU podcast, part of the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football Network. I'm J.B. Plunkett, here as always with Melissa Trebowasser. Melissa, hello. Hello, Jamie. This is a, our, our break from our normal schedule because we kind of wanted to, we had some things to wait out this week and, you know, we were, we were hoping we wouldn't even be recording tonight, but... Mm-hmm. Such as things go, TCU makes it far in the postseason, but can't quite get over the mountaintop once again. Look, TCU baseball has made it to the College World Series six times. They've never gone two in Q, which is yeah. more than like Tennessee can say. It's, true. it's more than Florida can say, more than Virginia can say now because TCU eliminated them. We're going to get into the College World Series tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about baseball's off-season plans as well talk a little mike miles and the nba draft which happened earlier this weekend or earlier this week um, but before we get into all of that just a little bit of podcast business first and foremost if you haven't yet go ahead and subscribe to frogs insider on spotify on apple podcasts wherever you get your podcasts go ahead and subscribe to the frogs insider youtube channel as well uh, make sure that you're getting all the latest podcast content from us you can find us on spotify anywhere you get your podcasts on the frogs insider stream if you just want our show but i would encourage you to go and subscribe to the republic of football network stream wherever you get your podcasts because you'll not only get our show but you'll get purple theory with our good friends parker fleming and grant mcgalliard wow who's that spelled, as he likes to say spelled just like it sounds with all those vowels you'll get Gambling Gauchos, you'll get Between Two Bears, you'll get a, a podcast for every Division One program in the state of Texas. It's a great network. I personally have really grown to love listening to everybody else's shows on the network. It helps me get through the work week because I found out now that I'm back in the office every day, my normal podcast slate wasn't getting me through the whole week. So mm-hmm. the Republic of uh, Football Network has been a great asset um, in, in helping me work every single day um and before we finish out our business the show is sponsored in part by home field apparel who i am representing right now my till hell freezes over tcu shirt very comfortable i'm going to spend more money on home field apparel soon and i'm going to use the code frog in 15 which is going to get me 15 percent off of my first purchase and if i want to go back for more I'll use frog in 15 again, and I'll get 10% off my second purchase and every what other purchase after that. Pretty what dope. a deal. Pretty amazing. You know, and, and it's still cool enough here in Northern California that I can still kind of rock a hoodie in the morning or a quarter zip or maybe a pair of joggers. You guys can't say that in Texas right now, but no, there's uh, no chance somewhere in joggers yeah. right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Melissa, it was 82% humidity in Fort Worth the other day, and it was Listen. 98 degrees outside. Listen, I thought I was going to pass out just walking from my car to my office. Here's here's the thing. A lot of people have a lot of thoughts about the state that I choose to call home. And I understand for some people why they would not choose to call this state home. Um, It was 50 degrees this morning. It was 60 on my way to work. It never got above, I think, 85. We are getting a little bit of heat next week. It's going to start getting closer to that 100 degree. But uh, as much as I miss and my FOMO for going to every single TCU event ever is extraordinarily large, my FOMO for Texas in June and July and August and September and parts of October, it's not there. I don't, uh, there's, there's one thing I certainly don't miss. That's among them. 
Look, we, in Texas in June and July and August, we've got FOGO, fear of going yeah. out. Yeah. Fear yeah. of going outside. I, listen, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be there for Big 12 Media Days, so I, I will get a little Texas in July. Yes. It grand. Big 12 Media Days are coming up in the middle of July. We're going to have so much content from Big 12 Media Days covering all of the stuff that Brett Yormark has to say, welcoming in four new members of the Big 12 as well in BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston. Uh, very excited for all of that coming up yeah. in July. July also means that our preseason previews are going to be coming your way as well. So we'll be breaking down what TCU football is going to look like in 2023, taking a deep dive into that. Uh, also going to be taking a closer look at some basketball stuff and continuing to cover baseball throughout yeah. the offseason. Uh, got and, a really cool got- slate. Yeah, we've got, we've got a lot to be excited about with TCU volleyball, TCU soccer starting up in the fall as well. And of course, a, a new look TCU women's basketball program. So as much as we saw on Twitter, how this was, you know, very likely one of among the greatest seasons, not just in TCU athletics history, but one of the more impressive seasons for a small school in Fort Worth uh, on the athletics calendar. Uh, there's a lot of reason for optimism in the 2023-2024 season coming up too. Um, but before we start looking ahead, you know, we, we've got to do a little recapping of, of what was and, and where we've been and and how uh, the final sports still playing for TCU this athletics year kind of closed out their season up in Omaha. Let's do it. Let's dive right in to TCU making the College World Series. Last episode, we broke down how they got there, the ups and downs of the regular season, and then the terror that they went on through the Big 12 championship the Fayetteville Regional and the Super Regionals in Fort Worth. 11-game winning streak coming into Omaha. Uh, They were the only team to make it through their conference tournament, the Regional and the Super Regional undefeated. Um, And uh, just a very impressive run. Then they run into what felt like, Melissa, in that Friday night game, a a team of destiny almost Mm -hmm. in Oral Roberts, the third four seed ever to make it to the College World Series. TCU had them. Uh, they were up five to two going into the ninth inning. Luke Savage hangs one pitch, gives up a three-run home run. Uh, actually, they were up, I guess, five to three going into the ninth. He gives up a three-run home run. TCU ends up losing that game six to five, going to the losers bracket. That was one of those games where, because like Cole Fontenelle hit a home run earlier in that game. Uh, you know, Cole Klecker was doing Cole Klecker things. He was pitching his just pitching incredibly well uh you just kind of felt like tcu was gonna roll through hold on to that lead and then the nine hole hitter for oral roberts comes through hits a three-run home run and i think that maybe rocks tcu back on their heels a little bit like oh i didn't we forgot what it's like for someone to hit back almost yeah yeah i mean when you look at the way that the tcu were playing in the heater that they had been on i mean it's well chronicled at this point um they're going to look back at that game and kind of a what might have been because opportunities still abounded later in the week, but everything kind of changes the tenor of that team, the confidence of that team changes if you win that opening game. And I think that's true for pretty much every team in Omaha. It it's really, really hard to fight back out of that loser's bracket. Although we we saw a team do it Thursday night, it, it can be a very difficult thing to do. Um, but yeah, it was just, you had, I mean, everything set up for TCU 
to get that win, putting up five runs, um, you know, or putting up three runs early and the way that Omaha has played that the scoring or the lack of scoring that we've seen the way the wind was blowing in a couple of those, you felt like with the way that Klecker was pitching and then knowing you were going to Savage, that that would be enough. You would have loved to scratch one more across. Um, you know, we, we, we saw TCU's uh, run game get a little bit stifled over the, over the last couple of weeks of the season. And they weren't quite, they didn't have a lot of opportunities either once they got up there because Credit to Oral Roberts. I mean, they held that TCU offense that had been absolutely blasting the, the baseball all over the park. Um, two, three runs. They had some help with the conditions, but uh, they they did not back down. They did not get intimidated. They did not stop believing that the opportunity was going to come. And when they got their opportunity, they took full advantage. And said it was one pitch. I mean, Luke Savage was nails the inning before, you know, our, our group chat kind of argued back and forth of, of whether maybe he'd gone one inning too long. Um, you know, I, I, you made the the argument of, you know, there was a reason that Kurt trusted his guy in that moment. I, I think all of the rest of us in hindsight kind of were like, you got Garrett Wright sitting there fresh. Maybe, maybe he should have gone, but hindsight is, is what hindsight is. Right. So uh, yeah, it was, it was an absolute gut punch of a loss when you consider all of the highs that we had been experiencing for the last, you know, three and a half, four weeks. Uh, I, I think it kind of put not just TCU baseball on its heels, but the fan base as well. And credit to Kirk Sarlus, who, what what did they do the next day? Went out and played golf, I think, or something, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> yeah, they went out and played golf. They had breakfast together. They went and got a good lift in. They did all of the things that, you know, you don't know, like, you just don't know how baseball teams are going to respond in Omaha, especially a team that is full of players that have never been there before. Um, Fortunately for TCU, they had the benefit of having a head coach who has not only been an assistant coach in Omaha before, but he's played in Omaha before. He went twice with Cal State Fullerton as a pitcher and he, he knows the layout. He understands the distractions that come with being in Omaha, it, it's it's a whole different ball game than even playing in a regional or a super regional. Um, and so he took his guys, he got them away from everything for a little bit. They played some golf, they hung out together. Uh, and ultimately what he said was, you know, you're going to be all right. Yeah. And he reminded them of what got them there, uh, reminded them how frequently they've risen up with their backs against the wall. And then they came out on Sunday against a Virginia team that was a national seed, uh, had won their conference tournament as a, or they didn't win the conference tournament, but I think they won. No, they did win the conference tournament. They're ACC champions. Um, again, yeah, national seed, regional host, super regional host, uh, had kind of been doing the thing, right? They've got a couple first round picks on that team as well. Um, Kyle Teal, First among them, the the Virginia catcher, who's probably going to be a top five, top seven pick in the MLB draft uh, later in July. Um, and Sam Stoutenborough, through five innings, uh, had thrown like 52 pitches or something. Yeah. I mean, he was locating his ball, his fastball incredibly well. His off-speed stuff had just enough bite to keep that Virginia offense on their heels. Uh, then we saw Garrett Wright come in in a clutch moment in the fifth inning, Garrett Wright gave us his longest outing of the season at two and two thirds innings and just under 40 pitches. Uh, he pitched out of his mind. His slider was just oh. dastardly. I mean, no. when you're, a, when you're a closer, obviously you're going to have a good fastball, but it's the secondary pitch. It's the number two pitch that defines what kind of closer you are. And when Garrett Wright is running his fastball inside 
inner third of the plate at 97 miles an hour. And then from the same point, breaking off a slider at 90 miles an hour that has 2,800 RPM on it. Like that's just filthy. And he absolutely made those Virginia bats look foolish for those two and two thirds innings before he turned it over to uh, Ben Abelt, who slammed the door, got into a little bit of trouble there in the ninth before striking out the final guy to send the frogs to face Oral Roberts for a rematch. But before we get into that next game, what do you think of this Virginia game, Melissa? I mean, listen, like Virginia is, is quietly one of the most consistently good bordering on great programs annually. I mean, we, TCU has matched up with them multiple times and, and, you know, in regionals, um, I, I think, you know, they've been obviously in Omaha multiple times over the last several years. Uh, this is a really solid program. And they like I watched a lot of their uh, super regional. They can mash the heck out of the baseball. And again, mm-hmm. like the the way the park was playing um, up there this week, it, there wasn't going to be a ton of runs scored. Um, I loved the way that and again, you know, the hindsight of watching what happened Friday. I love the way Kirk Sarlis handled the pitching staff on uh, on at that for that Sunday game. Um, you know, I think that as great as Sam Sattenborough is pitching, he pulled the pulled him at the right time. Um, I, you know, I think that was kind of the starting to see the the third third round of the order for Virginia. They were they hadn't really caught up to him, but it it, it felt like at any moment, you know, they might. And so I, I love and I loved going to right in the mm-hmm. middle innings instead of Abel. I, I thought that that was just a really heady play. Um, I love that that Wright was able to stay out for as long as he did, and then it was. It was awesome to see a freshman in that moment get into a little adversity and still be able to finish the game with a with a massive strikeout. Showed a little emotion. I love seeing that from Ben. Um, just a very well played baseball game. I think in all aspects for TCU, um, they didn't put a ton of runs on the board, but but they did just enough, and they they really took advantage of some key situations. They got clutch hits. Um, this is when I will say I started to get a little bit worried about Braden Taylor. Mm-hmm. This is the game where I started to see, you know, he, he'd been a little cool against Indiana state. He cooled off, you know, considerably. And again, he's not going to see anything to hit when you get to this level of the postseason. Um, but, you know, I, I think between those first two games, he had just one hit. Uh, it was like one for six. He had a couple of strikeouts against Virginia. Um, you know, it, it just, it looked like he was, other teams were making a point to make him a non-factor and uh, were successful. And that's when you kind of start to go, all right, rematch coming up with ORU, like felt like we could have gotten it the first time, felt like the depth of PCU was going to win out there, but you started kind of looking ahead of, you know, if you, if you get past that, what's ahead, you really need, you know, you'd love to see Taylor start to start to get back in a groove at the plate um, just after watching him kind of struggle and not get a lot of opportunities the first two games up in Omaha. Yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, we've had this conversation about Braden a couple of times this year where you're like, okay, well, he's not, he's not doing what we consider to be normal Braden Taylor things, which for people who play college baseball, it's like, oh, he's not doing the the normal, very freakish things that Braden Taylor does that we've gotten accustomed to. Um, I will say this. Yes. He he struck out a couple of times. They were pitching him a ton on the outer third. He was getting hardly anything in the outer third. Or on the inner third, um, 
He is kind of naturally with that swing, more of a pull hitter. He did go opposite field a couple of times and hit the ball pretty hard. Left fielder was in good position. Center fielder was in good position. Kind of some stuff where it's just like, okay, well, you know, he's not on base, but you know, that ball had a 95 mile an hour plus exit velocity. It was just right at somebody. Yeah. Um, And says, you know, to, uh, to quote the great, Ron Washington, that's the way baseball go. And so, I mean, he did make good contact at times. Wasn't getting on base, though. You're right. As as frequently as we're used to Braden getting on base. Um, Fortunately for him, though, guys around him in the lineup were really trying to pick him up. Uh, Cole Fontenelle had a great week in Omaha. Um, I'm talking to some folks. I think he's really done wonders for his draft stock over the last two or three weeks, which is really cool to see. Um, Not only... I mean, he, he had been hitting the ball hard all year. Uh, he hit a home run in that, in that loss to Oral Roberts on Friday night. But I mean, he going into the Florida game on Wednesday afternoon, uh, he had an eight game RBI streak hmm. going and he drove in two runs against Virginia. The first two runs of the game, not on hits, but on a sacrifice fly and yeah. a ground out to first base. Just a reminder of like how important it is in in big moments with runners in scoring position, just not to strike out, right? Yeah. Like just put the ball yeah. in play, see what happens. And Cole did a really good job of that. He uh, also pretty much all week defensively. Uh, you know, I, at one mm-hmm. point he made one play at first base where the the broadcast started kind of reminding people that he signed with TCU to be a middle infielder. I mean, this this mm-hmm. is a guy who who was athletic enough potentially to to play shortstop. It wasn't wasn't going to play you know, at TCU over Anthony mm-hmm. Silva. Um, uh, but just his athleticism, his, his ability, just his IQ. Um, he, he made a couple of defensive plays over the course of this last month of the season that just kind of were like a, a dude that's that big. And he's a pretty big dude being able to have that kind of flexibility, scooping some balls, you know, he, he, he missed, he missed one ball, but it's it, it, both, both, both guys at fault there probably. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's almost, it, you're excited for the guy selfishly as a fan. You're a little bit bummed out that he got on such a heater this time of year, because a, a kid that a month ago is probably surefire coming back for another season now. Cause I, he's, he's a, he's a third year, right? Like he's, mm-hmm. he's, yeah. So he's draft eligible, uh, may, may get an opportunity to take money and run. And like, if he does good for him, but, uh, sure would love to see him come back with one more year and see what an impact player he could be with an offense that they could kind of be centered around him probably next spring. Yeah, you know, I, we can we can get into this a little bit down the, down the run sheet, but I, I do think that you know, there's kind of, the folks I've talked to. There's kind of this dividing line when you're trying to evaluate Cole for the next level, and it's okay. He's got some decent power. Really, the bulk of that power is against the fastball. So, yeah. you know, how how well has he been hitting? You know, breaking pitches. How how well has he been hitting off speed pitches? That kind of stuff. Uh, decently well, but not not the same kind of power numbers. Uh, batted ball numbers as he has yeah. against the fastball. The question is, all right, okay, is he really a first baseman or a DH in the professional level? Yeah. Does he need to show that he can play other positions? Can he, does he need to show that he can play third? Does he need to show that he can play left field? You know, it, where's that kind of line? And it seems to be all of the folks who think he's got enough pop to be a first baseman or a DH. Um, okay, well, we can, we can probably spend a, a day two pick on him maybe middle round, middle of day two. So fifth, sixth, seventh round, uh, the folks who are like, Oh, we kind of need to see more. We're not sure if, if the power numbers go up a little bit, does do the hit numbers drop? Does he need to be able to play another position? Okay. Maybe back end of day two, early day three. Um, I, I think there are enough folks out there now who 
think that the bat is legitimate enough for Cole to get called early enough in day two to go. Yeah. So I, I would be, you know, obviously that's, I mean, the draft starts, I think on like June 11th or something like that, but or start July 11th. So we've got some time to, to kind of banter about this, but yeah, he's definitely one of those guys in, in a, a class where we've talked a lot about all of the freshmen, but this is really kind of an older team when you start to break yeah. the roster down with guys that were contributors with Cole, with Braden, with Austin Davis and Trey Richardson and Elijah Nunez and Luke Boyers and Curtis Byrne. And, uh, you know, I mean, all these guys that Cam Brown and Garrett Wright, Luke Savage, all of yeah. these guys that have draft potential uh, about about a month from now. There's there are a lot of like as much as they relied on a lot of guys that had never been at TCU before. There are a lot of guys that they ended up relying on that are going to be gone by the end of July. Mm-hmm. Um, that and and you know most of them you were kind of expecting. And there's you know out of those those names that you mentioned, you're probably going to see a third of those guys end up coming back because they don't like what they see or they see something at TCU. And you know, I, I and we'll get into the NBA draft here a, a little bit later. But when you look, I think it's going to be an interesting situation. Baseball is so different than basketball in this regard. But when you look at some of the big names, big contributors who left college early that could have been looking at six figure and above NIL deals and now don't didn't end up signing with anybody. And you look at that as a baseball player where the road is even longer and and tougher to some degree. And you could, you know, be riding on a bus with a $20 per DM in cities nobody's ever heard of for the next seven years. Going to be interesting to see some of those guys that end up being eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 round draft picks and see what TCU's NIL collective can kind of put up for those guys and say, hey, would you rather spend a year riding around in a bus or, or if we give you, you know, 100K to stay or 75K to stay, will you think about staying? And in baseball, if you're not a pitcher, you know, injuries still happen. Obviously, we've seen some freak injuries to big names, TCU specifically. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there, there, there may be more of a second guessing than there would have even a year ago. And, and we've seen the work that TCU is, is trying to do and support their athletes in that regard. And I think baseball's always had a pretty good support system. So, yeah, I mean, if I'm a, you know, if I'm a, a, a Trey Richardson, Austin Davis, guys who, who have the speed, the athleticism have shown the bats, but but maybe you're probably going to have a longer road to get to the show. Maybe they do come back, you know, if they aren't, if they don't get drafted in the top eight rounds or so. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Austin's a grad transfer, so he's oh, done no right. matter what, right. unfortunately. Done, yeah. it's him, He and Sam Soutenberg are the only ones who are completely out of eligibility that's on right. this roster. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like Trey, Cole, all these guys who you just don't know, uh, there might be some appeal to coming back. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, if if the if the dollars are right from an NIL perspective, uh, we and you know there's some recruiting stuff that we can talk about in a minute as yeah, well. That that'll play into know, it. There's there's a kid committed right now who's a JUCO transfer who's also a top 200 prospect in, in the draft. Does NIL convince him to come? Does he get drafted and go? Those are these are some of the things. But still got to kind of quickly close out the the College World Series. TCU did get their rematch with Oral Roberts of a four run fifth inning, kind of helped them break that game open. It was a game that really had no rhythm. It, yeah. it had no flow because the umpires were reviewing yeah. stuff. It's bad. They, they reviewed a balk that took 10 minutes. Yeah. They reviewed uh, the most ridiculous double play I've ever witnessed. That should not have been a double play uh, for another 15 minutes or so. Um, you know, uh, just uh, never was anything 
like neither team could really figure it out, get into rhythm. Fortunately for TCU, Oral Roberts made some uncharacteristic mistakes that they were able to take advantage of for the six to one win, which gave them the opportunity to go and play the number two national seed, Florida on Wednesday afternoon. And look, uh, Cole Klecker on four days of rest. Unbelievable. Ben Abel after having thrown however many pitches he had thrown. Yeah. Uh, leading into that day. I mean, you could not have asked for more. Yeah. So excited. Two, yeah. two arms that had gone as much as those guys have those gone kids. this year. Yeah. I, it gets you so excited for the future. When you see those two true freshmen doing what they're doing in that moment on that stage of fighting it out, gutting it out. Uh, I, I just like this game was really hard to watch as someone who loves TCU baseball. It was tense. It was drama filled. It was a weird baseball game in so many ways. It, it felt it felt like an elimination game in Omaha that every single time one of those pitchers reared back to throw a ball, depending on who you were rooting for, you were holding your breath like every single time. Uh, it just, I mean, listen, like we all kind of said it after, like if this is how TC was going to go out, like it sucks that that's how they go out because of the way that the game went, but they were right in it against the number two national seed. They fought them every scratch and clawed and look once again, look like they had the opportunity to get the win and live to fight another day. Um, it, it, it ended with uncharacteristic TCU baseball, but man, that, that the way that game was played brought me back. I mean, just the, the way that this team just battled on every single pitch and Florida was doing the same thing. Um, it, it was, very tense. It was a very tense baseball game. Um, it was so I, I'm teaching summer school right now. And it was so tense that my uh, rising senior student helpers who could care less about college baseball were all gathered around my computer where I had the game on in the background. While I was teaching 10 year olds Photoshop and would not take their eyes off of the baseball game. They were hmm. glued to the screen. Um, they just thought it was so like, just, it, it was, you know, it's, it's drama, it's sports drama. Uh, and it was a it was a frustrating way to end. Um, you know, I think you want to talk a little bit about the opportunities that TCU had, and there were plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just just a, I mean, that's a not the classic we saw Thursday night, but but a pretty a pretty damn entertaining game, um, and in a at a pretty sad kind of a gut punch way to to go home. Look, I you know I I, I was on Big 12's radio on Sirius XM that morning. Talking to Ari and Dave. I know you've been with you. You've been on that show. You talk to them as well. Great, yeah. great, great guys. Awesome. Um, love, love talking to them. Um, and they they asked, you know, okay, well, what is it going to take? Like, if, if you if one thing has to go right for TCU today to get a win against Florida, what has to go right? And I said, well, I you know they've been able in key moments to get the runs that they've needed to get. It's really, I think, down to pitching. Yeah. And I. Uh, any other game, I would have yeah. looked like a genius. Yeah. But this was the the first time, really, in six weeks of TCU baseball, where the clutch hit just eluded them yeah. and eluded them and eluded them. They stranded twelve guys on base. They stranded six in scoring position. Three runners stranded at third base in what ended up being a one run game. Yeah. And you know, you load the bases in the first inning against Jack Caglioni. He's wild. He's hit a guy. He's walked a couple guys. He's thrown a wild pitch. And you're like, ooh, okay, they got two on a big home run off, off Clucker in the top of the first. But look, we could push three or four across against a guy who's not throwing a ton of strikes yeah. right now. 
and this is any, but get into the bullpen early. Okay. Then you're talking about you're playing with the lead and you're burning Florida's arms going into Thursday. Like this is actually setting up pretty well for TCU. They only manage one run in that inning. They have another opportunity with the bases loaded in the fifth inning where they don't get any runs across. Yeah. They run into an out at home plate. Yeah. You know, and and you're just thinking, okay, well, are they going to get another shot? And in the sixth and seventh innings, just three up, three down, not very competitive at bats. Yeah, uh, I can't remember the reliever that Florida had gone to at this point, but he was starting to get into a rhythm. Um, and you're thinking, okay, this is probably going to end up being like a two to one baseball game, and that sucks because they had so many opportunities early on. Uh, and then Anthony Silva comes up as clutch as any freshman for TCU has come up this season. Huge double in the in the bottom of the eighth that scores Trey Richardson to tie the baseball game at two to two. You bring in Garrett Wright in the ninth, or I guess in the bottom of the eighth. No, top of the ninth. Yeah. Uh, with a runner on second and nobody out, he gets a botched bunt attempt as a pop out for the first yeah. out. He gets a deep fly ball that Austin. Uh, hauls in right at the wall in right field that allows the runner to advance to third. You got a runner 90 feet away with two outs. What does your closer do? Gets a ground ball to shortstop. And Silva's foot slips out from under him. The throw is slow. Rolls getting in there. The runner is safe. The run comes across the score. You're down three to two. And you're just like, gosh, dang it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't know if gosh dang it was the words that came out of my mouth. It might have been because I was around a bunch of you know. I was at I was but, I was at work, so it, I didn't say anything out loud. But yeah. I just hands yeah. on the desk, like oh gosh, like uh, another just missed opportunity yeah. Yeah. for TCU in that game, and and then it got uh, worse, <laughs> right? Then and it then it gets worse. worse, right? You you so you have Eli strikes out uh, to to lead off the bottom of the ninth. Carson grounds out to shortstop for two outs and then Braden Taylor, right? The hero of TC baseball, arguably the best hitter to come through the program in a long line of legendary hitters. One of the greatest defensive infielders ever to play yeah. for TCU, which I guess if you combine those two things, you could make an argument that yeah. Braden Taylor is the best baseball player to come through the program. I don't know that I, I, I I'm, I'm there fully, but I, he's top five, he's top five. You, you could argue and, best position player probably. Oh, a thousand percent. Thousand yeah. percent, you could argue yeah. best. Maybe not player. best player. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to vote against the guy who went on to win a Cy Young. But sure, or like Preston Morrison, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Matt Perks freshman year alone yeah. might do it for him. But, but from you know, a position, you, yeah. And and so he he. I mean, and he gets a hold of one, right? Like he's down zero and two. He works it back a little bit, and then he gets a hold it's of gone. one. It's gone. Any and it's other day, hundred and ten miles an hour off the bat. 411 feet every single hit 25 degree launch angle by the way every single ball hit at those metrics in major league baseball this year have been a hit 97 percent of them have been home runs and for for comparison tommy tanks who hit the walk-off in the bottom of the 11th inning for lsu against wake forest on thursday night 106 miles an hour off the bat 398 feet, 25.6 degree launch angle. He just pulled it a little bit more, yeah. just a hair more. And that thing was not even remotely close to staying in the ballpark. No. And it almost felt appropriate for that to be the way yeah. things ended because they had missed so many opportunities 
and it's the hardest ball that Braden had hit in probably three weeks. He had hit yeah. a couple pretty, pretty hard, Yeah. but that's the hardest baseball he's hit since Fayetteville. Yeah. And it just, it just didn't quite have the juice on a, on a day where that ballpark that afternoon was just playing so, so pitcher friendly wind blowing in about 10 miles an hour. Just didn't, just didn't have the juice to get out. Yeah. And, you know, and, and like you said, the, the, the timely hitting had been so good. It was, and then it just wasn't, and that's baseball and that's mm-hmm. what and, and, the, and the park conditions didn't help, but man, when you look back at what TCU pitching did to some of the best hitting teams in the country, I, there, obviously there were a couple, there were a couple that, <laughs> that you'd love to get back, but when you just the way that those pitchers who had struggled through so much of the season, the mm-hmm. way that they finished their last six weeks or so um, is so impressive and so encouraging. And, uh, you know, it, it would have been awesome if they would have kept everything together there at the end for one more week after they had done it for, for the previous three, but just to see uh, to see the way that they competed on the mound, especially those young guys um, and, and to see the way, you know, Anthony Silva, like he's, He's going to remember that foot slipping out from under him, but you can't, you can't fault the kid. I I mean, they ruled it an an infield single. I don't think it was going to be close. Yeah. It was was going to be close close, no matter what. Yeah. But you know, he, he's going to think about that one for a while, but I I don't think you can get mad about that. Obviously not if you're him, Mm -hmm. not if you're his teammate, not if you're a fan, Uh, you know, you're going to think about that ball that Braden hit. And if it had been literally any other day that, you know, that, that they're going to the, it's a completely different ball game and you've got, you know, Cole Fontenelle coming up after who's had the best week at any TCU hitter. Mm-hmm. But, but when you think about just the way that some of these young guys perform, Carson Bowen, we you know what he did over the last month and a half of the season, you know, what, what Anthony Silva's done with Cole Klecker, Ben Abel, uh, it's, it's a cruddy way to lose, but it's still so much more than we anticipated, you know, two months ago. And you look at the guys that are there, the guys that are coming back, you look at what Kirk Sarlos did to get his team back together, to pull them back together. Um, I can't wait to talk about his in-game interviews too, because just the Mm -hmm. way that he presented himself on the national stage, um, it's TCU baseball is in a really, really good spot. And we got a little bit of taste of something that none of us really expected. Um, you know, we got, we got to see it, this team really galvanize and come together. And when you think about, you know, who's coming in, even when you think about who's leaving, uh, there's a lot of reason to be excited for the future of this program. And once again, to believe that the right guy is, is man in the ship. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I fully, fully agree with you. And when you, yeah, you mentioned it, like you think about the the batters that, that the TCU arms faced this week, Jonah Cox was on a 47 game hitting streak for Oral Roberts coming into Friday and he went over four. Yeah. Right. Matt Hogan uh, was Oral Roberts best power hitter all season long. I think he had t- upwards of 20 home runs. Um, he went over four with four strikeouts in that Tuesday game. You had Wyatt Langford of Florida. who's going to be a top five draft pick uh, who was held largely in check. You had, um, uh, Jack Caglione, who yeah. not only is a pitcher, but is a hitter in their first baseman over at Florida. He's projected to be the number one overall pick in the 2024 MLB draft. Um, Rivera, the shortstop for Florida, he's the one that hit that two-run home run. He's top 150-ish yeah. prospect in the draft this year. I mean, you're facing guys that are going to be playing professional baseball sooner rather than later. And these mostly freshman arms yeah. held, held them largely at bay. 
Yeah. And, and that is such a good sign for what this program can look like in 2024. Uh, but before we get into that, I do want to talk about that just a little bit. Kirk Sarlos is hands down, and this is not because we're biased or anything. Kirk Sarlos is hands down the best mid-game coach interview um, in, any, yeah. in any sport. No one's going to argue in, that. In any sport. At any level. No one's arguing that. You, you, can, you cannot argue. Nobody is more entertaining. Those are normally the most throwaway three minutes of a broadcast. They brought Kirk back after a break during mm-hmm. one of those games. He was so good. Uh, just his, him being honest, like during that review, um, on the balk that scored a run was one of my favorite, like just moments of conversation I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, Mm -hmm. he, he was personable. He was honest. He was transparent. He was kind. He was funny. He brought his players in. He loved on them. I, I mean, when you talk about the amount of people that care about college baseball that are watching that interview, you talk about players, you talk about potential future players. You talk about families. How do you not watch that and think that's a dude I want to play for? Cause it's so flipping genuine and he's so cool. You know, mm-hmm. if you compare it to Jim Schlossnagel who had a really bad run at in-game interviews, like we're just bad yeah. things kept happening to him. So like, I don't blame yeah. him, but that dude looked like he wanted to bite somebody's head off during every in-game interview. And he probably did. Uh, and then for Kirk just to be so, yeah, this is something I have to do, but not treat it like it was something he have, has to do, but something he actually enjoyed doing. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, an unbelievable ambassador for, for TCU in those moments. While in the college world series, while he was doing his interviews, Cole Fontenelle hit a home run. Curtis Byrne was thrown out at home plate. Yep. They reviewed a balk and reversed the balk call and not a single time in any of those high leverage, very stressful moments. Did he even consider like, having his heart rate increase one no. beat per minute. No. I mean, my, my favorite, my favorite was when he asked the guys, should I be mad at them when I go back out there after they reverse the balk? And then he looked, he's like, I think they got it right. I think they got I was it right. Like, they just took a run off the board. It, it what was a, a tight game at that moment. Like, it was two to right. nothing at that point. Yeah. 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 And I mean, that's just, I, again, you know, we both had, you've gotten to spend a lot of time with Kirk. I've had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with him too. Uh, that is who that dude is. Mm-hmm. That is that dude is as SoCal as it gets in the best possible way. Not LA SoCal. He's he's beach vibe SoCal. So yeah, he's Fullerton. Uh, he's got the Fullerton yeah. vibes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's he's he's great. It's just I, I love I love just watching that dude work. And you know we're, we could go back and nitpick decision making and all those types of things. But at the end of the day, like I said, it just feels so obvious two years into this that TCU got the right guy, and it was the guy that was there all along. Yeah, and and you think about what this team was able to do. And and it almost feels like beating a dead horse at this point, talking about how this team played from May 1st on. They don't do that if yeah. they don't have a guy at the helm who is as even keel as Kirk Sartlos. They sure. just don't, right? Yeah, as talented sure. as they were, and, and we knew that they had talent. We talked about their talent, even in their biggest of slumps. We don't understand why there's something they're too talented to do this, yada, yada, yada. They kept working. They kept grinding they stayed focused they never gave up they never panicked they never got too high when they started winning they didn't fall back into slumps after losses that's all because of the leadership from the head guy Kirk Sarlos and it trickle it trickles down to his staff it trickles down to his players and you can see that it has this kind of easing effect on everybody where when they are in those high leverage moments they they they're calm 
Yeah. And there's nothing better than like a pitcher on the mound when all hell is breaking loose, who's fully locked in, just focus on the next pitch, a hitter who struck out three times, or is just not getting on base like Braden Taylor, two hits in that final game against Florida, drove in a big run yeah. in that first inning, right? Like that all kind of, that all points back to the coaching style and the leadership of, of Kirk Sarlos. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I've been a, the kind of coach that throws pens and, and throws clipboards and my teams didn't, didn't win a lot more, but when I was the kind of coach that tried to meet them where they were and, and kept the demeanor of even when everything, like you said, is on fire around you, just drinking your coffee and this is fine. Memeing it, you know, like that's when, when you don't give off the impression that you're desperate, your team doesn't play desperate. You want them to play hungry. You don't always want them to play desperate. And, and TCU kept a very even keel, you know, slipped up, you know, a little bit in the, in the big moments there once or twice, but at the end of the day um, that, that team competed and mm-hmm. they never, they never looked like a team that thought that they had no chance to win. And, and that's all yep. you can really ask for. And then, you know, they were one of the, one of the last four teams standing in college yeah. baseball and they finished 20 games over 500. Yeah. Not, not a lot to complain there. No, not a lot to complain about. So uh, kind of run through this stuff really quickly. What's on the docket for baseball this off season? It's crudent season, right? You're, Rootin'. you're trying to bring a freshman class in another really good freshman class. Um, that includes a couple guys who have some potential, to play pretty early on in their careers, uh, specifically Zach Wattis. He's the number one uh, player from the state of Arizona, number one first baseman from the state of Arizona for 2023. Uh, He's coming to campus. He's going to get on campus in like the next two weeks. He tweeted out today that he's going to be here in the middle of July. Um, And he is a guy who has incredible power. He's a corner infielder, first baseman mostly. Uh, And you have to think that, you know, we just had the Cole Fontenelle conversation. Is he staying? Is he going? Well, if if Cole Fontenelle gets drafted high enough and, and, and walks and takes the money, which nobody would blame him for doing that, sure. well, you know, you've got a guy in Zach Wattis who's probably going to be able to come in and play as a freshman. He's rated as highly as uh, Anthony Silva was coming in, mm. not necessarily from an MLB prospect perspective, but from like a perfect game. Hey, here's what this kid could be at the college level. Uh, you know, almost in the inverse, right? For Silva, it was, this guy's got great defense. The bat might need a minute. Breaking news, the bat didn't really need a minute. But huh. for for Wattas, it's, all right, we know that the bat is there. Defensively, how is he going to adjust at the next level? You know, uh, TJ Bruce is a pretty dang good defensive coach. We saw after the bumps and bruises of the early season, one of the best aspects of this baseball team for the final two months was how good they were defensively. Um, you know, and so that you, that goes back to coaching, I, I think, most of the time. Um, <clears throat> so he, you got him coming in. You've got another really good prospect and Josh Tiedemann coming in from the same high school as Zach Wattis. Oh, by the way, they're both from the same high school as Cole Klecker. Huh. Uh, so I don't know what's going Mind on line, out baby. there. I don't know what's going on out there in Chandler, yeah. Arizona, but they're doing something right. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're doing something extra right because all of those really good players are coming to TCU. Um you know, a couple other guys coming in. Sam Myers is an outfielder to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, Jax Lewis is a pitcher to keep an eye on as well. Uh, and then this this transfer class that's coming in, they've got a bunch of guys coming in that uh, I think are going to be really good contributors, mostly arms at this point. Um, ben Hampton was first-team All-Big 12 pitcher from West Virginia this year. He's a lefty. 
throws fastball mid to high eighties. Doesn't really doesn't overwhelm you with power, but he's a he's a control guy. He's a pitch to contact guy, and in a in a ballpark like Lepton, that's that's not a bad thing to be. Um, he's a guy that's going to come in and compete for a weekend spot. Riley Bowman is another guy. Uh, he's an Abilene Christian transfer who missed this past year. He had Tommy John surgery back in May of 2022. Uh, fully recovered now. Been pitching in some uh, collegiate uh, inner squad, you know league kind of games this this summer touching 98 with his fastball um breaking people off with a pretty good uh, slider as well another guy that's going to come in compete Uh, you've got zach coyer coming in a right-handed pitcher uh from the juco ranks and then you've got um a guy who has been committed since january don't know what's going to happen with him draft wise but kyle carr is a left-handed pitcher who's touching kind of sits 92 to 94 with his fastball has touched 97 this year. He's right now the 170th prospect on MLB.com as far as this year's draft is concerned. And so you're thinking, okay, is he going to get to campus? Is he going to get drafted high enough to go? But this, like you were talking about earlier, this is one of those situations where if the NIL money is right, why would you go ride on a bus when you could be on campus at yeah. TCU for a year? Yeah. Right. Get a little bit, maybe, just maybe it would only take the same amount of money as you would make over there to say, I'm going to, I'm going to choose TCU's campus and playing college baseball versus, uh, you know, the pro ranks, not a bad place to be, not a bad place to be, not a bad place to be at all. And then the guy, another guy too, outfielder, Jack Arthur from Weatherford college, uh, hit 20 home runs for Weatherford last year, started his career. He registered at Texas his his first year and then transferred to Weatherford college and is looking to get back into the big 12. Jack Arthur is going to be a big piece of TCU's outfield next year as well. So let me ask you this of all of those, especially the high school guys that you mentioned, which ones are you most going to be paying attention to where they get drafted to see if they, they might make it to campus, but if they stay is always the question. Look, I think, I, I think the portal has done a couple of different things for TCU because, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, I think that 2017 TCU baseball recruiting class was one of the highest ranked recruiting classes, not just of that year, but of all time. And their top four, I believe it was three or four guys were drafted in the first three rounds of the MLB draft and they all left. They all went to the draft. They took the, they took the signing bonus. Obviously NIL wasn't a, a above board thing at that point. Right. So they all left and that devastated TCU from a roster perspective for yeah. two, three years, because you anticipated these guys coming in and you hadn't recruited in a way that could survive when those guys weren't here anymore. And so I think that changed Kirk Sarlos's recruiting philosophy a lot by having that experience to say, obviously we want high-end talent that we can bring in, but bringing them in is critically important. So yes. how, we go, how we go about recruiting some of these top-end guys, okay, well, maybe we don't really spend a lot of time trying to get a surefire first or second rounder to commit. Because really, what's the value in spending that time on a guy who's probably going to go pro and take the you know six million dollar signing yeah. bonus, right? We're not going to give him six million dollars. The Rangers are, or the Rockies are, or the Padres, or whoever. Um, but hey, there's some really good talent that you know when we can get into an NIL era of we can we can kind of make this work. We can get these talented kids in. These are the guys that are going to 
contribute right away or compete to contribute right away who probably want to be on campus versus riding on a bus somewhere in BFE anyways. And, um, good character guys who are going to contribute to the, the culture of the program as well. And I think he and John Delora, who's been the recruiting coordinator for the last couple of years, have, have done an amazing job of identifying those kinds of guys, not only from a talent perspective, but from a culture perspective. So I don't know that there's too terribly big of a concern about any of these freshmen not making it on campus. I think the bigger question is who's going to contribute right away. And I think, yeah. it, I really do think it's Wattis and I think it's Tiedemann are probably the two guys who are in the best shape to do that just because they're corner infielders who have some good, good power already. And TCU's losing one, if not both of their corner infielders yeah. moving into next year. Right. Well, and you gotta, you gotta feel better about them coming along too. When they watch what Cole Clicker, their high school teammate did as a true freshman and, and how mm -hmm. much he elevated his profile because he was not one of the most highly regarded prep prospects. You know, he was not really an MLB, you know, he was, he, he was, he was not a, a I don't think he was yeah. a top 300 guy. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it, to see the way he's elevated and coming in, like you said, like, obviously if you're a pitcher, Kirk Sarlis has literally done it all. If you need to work on your defense, you've got a great defensive coach in, in TJ Bruce. And then you're just part of a culture that's going to elevate you in all aspects. Uh, these seem like high character kids mm. as well. They're good students. Um, I saw, you know, that Zach Wattis used the correct apart um, in a tweet. <laughs> And honestly, like that's kind of my standard when you're 18. If you know how to use a part correctly, um, then I am super fired up to have you be a part of our program. So uh, not, and not to shame anyone that doesn't, but it, it's just something as a someone in education that really bothers me. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot to be excited about. And I think we had so much fun watching these freshmen, watching guys like Klecker and, and Silva and Carson Bowen uh, come in, compete for spots play meaningful roles and be successful to think that, that we might get to do that again and, and bring back yeah. a couple familiar faces as well. Like that's, that's going to be something to look forward to. It's really going to be exciting too, to see of these handful of veterans that are back on this roster, who takes up the mantle to be the leader. You know, I, I think we saw amazing quiet leadership from Braden Taylor and Curtis Byrne, especially Curtis Byrne down the stretch as such an underrated piece. We saw the vocal and emotional leadership from Austin Davis and Trey Richardson um, who's going to, and, and Elijah Nunez, who, you know, brings the energy, who's going to be that guy for TCU next year. It, it's going to be fun to see who kind of steps into that role and, and takes that mantle in the off season. Yeah, it, it really is. I, you know, I think it's going to be Carson Bowen. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's I like kinda, that kid. Uh, you think about, think about every really, really good TCU baseball team. They've made it to That's Omaha. They've made it to Omaha different ways, right? They've yeah. had the elite pitching staff. They've had the elite bats. They've had a blend of both, but they also had Brian Holiday in 2010. Yeah. They had Evan Skaug yeah. during the four the four in a row, and Zach Humphreys is a part of that as well. Um, and now you've got Carson Bowen kind of following in that that line of, hey, who is the guy who is going to bust his butt every single day, do things the right way? be a vocal leader who has to be one of the guys who works the hardest on the team yeah. just by, you know, position fair of, yeah, the position <laughs> that he drew in life. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I think that the plan with Carson is, you know, you've got the USA baseball stuff that you're doing, the collegiate baseball team that you're doing stuff with this summer. And then, Hey, your parents own a house in Fort Worth, brother, get back here. Yeah. Cause we need you yeah. to, to welcome in not only the freshmen that are coming in, 
but we need you to welcome in these transfers. We need you to teach them our culture. We need to teach you need, you need to teach them what TCU baseball is all about here. Um, and, and I mean, obviously it's going to take a lot of guys to do that, but just like we saw, like you mentioned with, with and with Curtis and some of these other guys, Eli as well. Um, I think Carson bone is going to spearhead that for TCU. And it's, it's really cool to see a sophomore coming in and doing that. Um, especially, uh, you know, when we we've talked a little bit about, there are a lot of older guys who, who might yeah. be gone next year and Carson bone just kind of feels like the natural fit then to take that on. Well, and I'd say this too, just, just based on what we've seen of this kid on and off the field this past year, pretty, pretty good guy to be leading your program in every aspect. Um, and NCs have a great relationship with Kurt Charlus. I mean, the catcher is kind of the coach on the field in a lot of ways. Uh, it's going to be really fun to see him take more, uh, more ownership, not just of what he does as a baseball player, but what he does as an ambassador and representative of TCU baseball and TCU as a whole. I think we're in pretty good hands. I think we're in pretty good hands with him. Yeah. We are. We yeah. surely are. Uh, you know, he's, he's a great kid. Hey, Absolutely speaking of great, great. kids and yeah. great ambassadors for TCU. Yes. We're going to see another, we're going to finally, JB, your hopes and dreams have come true. You get oh. to root for a horned frog and the Dallas Mavericks. Look, they're learning. I think it was Josh Carraway tweeted last night after the draft the, the Mavericks are learning. They blew it in 2019 when they didn't yes, take did. uh, Desmond Bain, but they they signed Mike Miles Jr. to a two-way contract. The hometown kid gets to play for the hometown team. His story is so cool. Yeah. Highland Hills, Texas, played at Lancaster, played high, college ball at TCU. Now he gets to play for the Dallas Mavericks. And the Texas Legends, te- technically, he'll be waffling back and forth between both. Um just so so cool that a kid yeah. who wanted to stay home wanted to put on for his city gets to do that not only in high school but in college and in the professional leagues as well yeah it, it's, it's just, just awesome yeah I, I listen like as a kings fan i don't really want to see any other western conference team succeed um just just as a general statement but mm-hmm. and and I, I just have my thoughts on the maps but that's neither here nor there because you can be damn sure that I will be having a Mike Miles Dallas Mavericks jersey, probably the green one, chipped out to Sacramento um, and be rocking with that. And if, and if he has the opportunity, if he's on the, the travel roster when when they come to, to Sac to play the Kings, I will absolutely be there cheering for him. Um, yeah, just an awesome, awesome opportunity for him. It could not look, the, you, we hear this with the NFL, we hear this with a lot of things. Probably his best situation as opposed to being, you know, a, a, in the fifties drafted by a team that maybe didn't want him or wanted, you know, to, to send him off to wherever else, getting to choose where he signs and getting to pick to sign with his hometown team. That's a great situation for him. And a team that, that really could use a, a guy that's pretty durable, which, you know, he had some freak injuries, but, but it's pretty physically durable just the way he's built. Um, that can make some things happen. That can be a creator that can take a little bit of the load off of Luca. If Kyrie doesn't come back, I mean, there's some opportunity for him to be a part of that NBA roster and to, to get some, some meaningful mi- minutes for that club. Yeah. Yeah. And just everything is up in the air with the Mavericks right now. It feels like they're finally letting the general manager be the general manager for huh. the first time in God knows how long yeah. they had an excellent draft night, top to bottom ended up with two really interesting defensive first prospects in the first round. Um, Got rid of the Davis Bertans contract. 
uh, they got, you know, your old center from Sacramento yeah. in that second trade. They got them the number 24 overall pick. You can, um, you, you did exchange one bad contract for another, but I think Rashawn, but it's saving, it's, shorter, shorter, it's save, yeah. saving them about uh, $8 million over two years, which allows them to use the full mid-level exception. Yeah. So, and, and he's a guy who, by by for whatever reason, I think it was more system related yeah. as to why he he lost playing time to, to Sabonis, yeah. right? And so this is an opportunity maybe for him to get a few more minutes, maybe 12, 15 minutes yeah. a game instead of eight, and and just do just enough to be worth the twelve and a half million dollars that he's making over the next two years. But it also means Dwight Powell's not coming back, probably. Yeah. Thank God. Um, but this is not a Dallas Mavericks podcast. Yeah. Mike Miles yeah. Jr. is signing a two-way contract. For those who don't know, because I've gotten some questions about this, I've seen some questions asked. A two-way contract is a contract that allows a player to play for a professional team and that professional team's G League affiliate as well. There is a kind of developmental league underneath the NBA now. Think of it kind of like the minor leagues in baseball. Um, The team, though, owns the contract. The Mavericks own that contract, but it does not contribute to their salary cap numbers. So every team was allowed two two-way contracts. The new CBA that was negotiated in April gave them a third two-way contract. So the Mavericks are using their third two-way contract on Mike. A two-way contract gives a player 50% of the rookie minimum, which is 50% of the rookie minimum is roughly 450 to $470,000, right? Yeah, not bad. So really good deal. Allows them an opportunity to develop a little bit more. They get to play in up to 50 NBA games. Um, uh, and a team can buy out their contract and give them a full contract uh, if they if they want to do that. And a two-way contract can be given to any player that is in their third year or fewer in the league, which means that Mike could, in theory, if he doesn't get a, a full contract with the Mavericks or somebody else this year, get on another two-way contract next year and, and, and try to do the same thing. He's the kind of guy, though, that, I mean, just the relentless work ethic that he has and some of his God-given ability, the one God-given ability Mike Miles is lacking is just his Height. physical size, right? Yeah. Like he's 6'1", his wingspan is a little less than 6'1", and in today's NBA, that's going to make life difficult, but he has as much speed, he has as much burst, he's got as much leaping ability as any other guard in the league, and he showed that he could shoot the three last year, he showed he could be a good, def- uh, you know, even for a smaller dude, a good perimeter defender. Um, and I just think that he's the kind of guy who's going to take this opportunity and run with it. Yeah. And I'm so, so stoked that it's happening with the Mavericks. Cause I think long-term that could be really good for both parties. Well, and I, I think, you know, we've seen this happen with so many G league guys, um, you know, just the opportunity to go and to really score against that level of competition, uh, which I think he will absolutely be able to score against that level of competition. Um, you know, you, you talked about his improved three point shooting. I think that's something he's going to work on even more this off season and going into that season. Also just his ability to finish with his left hand, you know, mm-hmm. as a right-handed guy um, and, and just finish through contact at the rim. You know, we talked about durability probably was the wrong word for me to use there, but he is physical and he can play physical. Um, and, and if he can show that he can get to the rim, he can finish and he can shoot, you know, the 38 to the 39% from three over the course of a G league season, uh, there'll be a spot for him. And if it's not with the Mavs, somebody else is going to watch him perform. And, and, you know, he might have an opportunity to sign a, a full contract at some point this season or even next. But like you said, he's got a couple of years to prove himself on a two way. Um, if that opportunity opens up, um, I, 
I think that that he, like you said, will take the most take advantage of it and, and find his way into the league. There are plenty of teams that could use a, a guy that can come off the bench and, and can, you know, go for 12 really easy, drop a couple assists and be pesky at the very least on the outside. So I, I think I think his his path will be a little bit winding, but I think he absolutely has an opportunity to play meaningful minutes in NBA games. Yeah, he absolutely does. I mean, Jaden Hardy's back there too in the backcourt, but I mean, Jalen Brunson's not coming through that door. No, nope. He's not. And he's only one inch taller than Mike Miles. Yeah. That's yeah. a fun fact. That's a good fact. And maybe, maybe the Mavericks won't spend $47 million a year on Kyrie Irving. Yeah, we can, we can maybe hope. It's, maybe if you're a Mavs fan, that's what you're hoping for. We'll, we'll see. That's going to be. Maybe they won't. Maybe that's fascinating. Uh, not all good news for, for TCU guys. Um, sure. And, and the, the bummer of, of this draft process, I say is there's not a spot for everybody. And with just two rounds and this year, there were only 58 picks because of uh, in, in egregious uh, cheating or whatever it was, or losing, losing picks by, by other programs. Um, Damian Baugh did not hear his name called uh, was, you know, we kind of on the out, we figured that was probably going to happen, but kind of the surprise of both of us has not, signed a two-way contract or even I think at this point received a summer league invite by an NBA team. Are you hearing anything around that? What, what is kind of our expectation or do you think Damian Ball is going to be playing overseas next year? I, I would be really surprised if he didn't end up with a summer league invite from somebody. I mean, he worked out for enough teams yeah. to where they, he's a known enough commodity right now to where if a team's got, I mean, you got to fill out your summer league roster. And if you're a team that is maybe, older guys and some superstars and you didn't have but one or two draft picks or you didn't sign any two-way contracts like the phoenix suns or the los angeles lakers right like you've got a couple options there i think for guys maybe the celtics as well um to to get out there and to sign damien to a summer league contract that's that's far less than a two-way contract that's about forty thousand dollars i think um if if that even but um, it's a foot in the door, right? And I think yeah. Damien is another one of those guys, similar to Mike, that if you give him an opportunity, he's going to make the most of it. Uh, we saw what he, what happened in year one at TCU when it's like, hey, we know that you're more of an off-ball guard who's going to shoot threes and play really good defense. By the way, you're our point guard now. Yeah. <laughs> right? You're kind of our co-point guard with Mike, and you're going to be playing 28 minutes a game, uh, and we're going to really rely on you a lot. Um, and he grabbed that opportunity and made the most of it for two years at TCU. I think that if he gets a summer league opportunity, he gets a two-way contract from there. Um, but even if he does end up in Europe, right? Like, I mean, that's a, a the European leagues now are not the European leagues of 20 yeah. years ago where you're thinking, oh, okay, well, this is kind of the end of, you can have a really good long career in Europe. I mean, TCU has seen guys, have that right brandon parish just wrapped one up we have bingo merricks who played for like 12 13 years overseas in a variety of places Uh, there there uh, kian anderson is still over there playing Mm -hmm. right uh alex robinson played in europe for a couple years like there there are there is good uh there's good money to be made and there are, are good experiences to be created by playing overseas I don't, I mean, Damien Ba, you know, we've talked about it in the past. Damien Ba has a daughter. I don't know how comfortable he would be being that far away from her, but you know, I think the opportunity to provide for her presents itself for whatever shape that takes. 
uh, Damien is, is a dad and he's going to think of yeah. his daughter first and he's going to yeah. do what's best for, for his family. Yeah. I, I really would love to see him get an opportunity to prove himself, get, get a G league at, at the very least be able to sign with the G league team. And, and, you know, again, that money maybe is not as good as Europe, but because he's got family situations that would, I would love for him to get to stay and prove himself that direction. Um, I, I agree. I think if, if he gets an opportunity to play in that summer league, there's going to be a team that needs a dude that can score they can, they can play some backup point guard, but can also play alongside a point guard. He's, he's proven that he can do all of those things. He's, he's, you know, solid athlete. He's a solid three point shooter. He does a lot of things really, really well. Um, I, I was, I was really shocked that he didn't get a call earlier. And I guess what we, what we aren't saying, what we don't know is what kind of phone calls his agents feeling and what opportunities mm-hmm. have come that maybe he's waiting for something specific too. Um, yeah. And, and he's, he's got the right to do that. I, I don't, I, the dude will be playing professional basketball at some level next year. I think there's no doubt in my mind about that. Yeah, for sure. He will. And, and I'm excited to see where that is. And obviously, you know, TCU fans have have Damien's back and and we'll be supporting him no matter what, no matter where he goes. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it for this episode of frogs insider. Thank you for hanging with us. We'll be back again next week uh, to really kind of get into the full off-season doldrums, yeah. I guess. Hey, listen, I think it's almost time to start talking about Colorado. We're not far from that. So it's 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 pretty exciting to think about TCU football starting back up again. Um, you know, th- there'll be a lot to look forward to come August, and we'll, uh, we'll kind of ticky-tack our way through July until we get there. But uh, it, it, the off-season's excitement because everybody's zero and zero again. And so we had a, we had a heck of a year see what we can, what we can capitalize on it. Maybe, maybe this is the year TCU doesn't just play for national championship in a, in a major sport, but takes one home. You never know. You never know, but Hey, there's a pretty good foundation built from, from the 2022, 2023 academic year. Yeah. Could say that. Absolutely. All right, folks, you don't forget subscribe where you can find our podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Buy home field, buy home field apparel, frog in 15, frog in 15 code. And we will talk to you next time. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.